So good morning. Uh, my name is Josh Montgomery. Glad to, glad to see everybody here this morning. If you're a guest with us, uh, I'll repeat Carol's words. Welcome. We're glad that you're here. Um, our lead pastor is out of town, and so I'm filling in. And uh, so depending on how the next 35 minutes goes, just keep that in mind that he will be back, okay? <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so we have been in this series over the past several weeks in the book of James, and this series is called Wholehearted. And like last week, if you were here, we've been hearing a lot of stuff that's really difficult to swallow sometimes. The gossip one really hit me hard. Uh, James is, uh, in a lot of ways, James reminds me kind of that relative that we all have that uh, lost all these filters and just kind of says whatever he thinks sometimes. And so, like, James can say some things that are really, really hard to hear. However, everything that James is saying is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so today we're going to talk about planning and for me, uh, I am an avid planner. I like to plan little things. I like to plan big things. Like, I, I'm the kind of planner that gets on other people's nerves. Like, I'm that kind of planner. And I married a planner, which means that it's fun sometimes because we're both planners, right? And so a few weeks ago, my wife and I decided that we were going to take a day trip and have no idea where we were going. We had no plan whatsoever. And honestly, in a lot of ways, like, like I felt naughty. Like I felt like I was doing something wrong, right? Like it felt really un, unnatural for me to just head up. We had no idea where we were going to go or what we were going to do. And what Mindy and I realized was, because we're both really avid planners, was that we have produced four little planners. Because it took us about 15 minutes into the trip and my children's eyeballs were bulging out of their head. Like they could not fathom that we were headed somewhere and had no idea where we were going. And so we went through the whole host of, well, where are we going? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know where we're going? Well, when are we going to get there? I don't know. Well, what are we going to do when we get there? I don't know. Well, are we going to eat? I'm sure we're going to eat. Well, where are we going to eat? I don't know where we're going to eat. Well, when are we coming home? I don't know when we're coming home. And their eyes just kept getting bigger and bigger. And so I realized that we had, that the apples didn't fall very far from the trees and that we're all kind of this family of little planners. Let me ask you this. How many of you would consider yourself planners? <laughs> okay. How many of you hate, let me ask you this. How many people hate planning? Any people that hate planning? Bless y'all's hearts. <laughs> I can't identify with you whatsoever. I have no idea how you function. But the reality is, as we look at this passage today, here's what we're going to find is that whether we love planning, whether we hate planning, all of us in some way are planning our lives. Whether it's the little things we plan in life, like what am I going to do this afternoon to what I'm doing this week, all the way to the big things in life, to the things that we want to see unfold in the future, whether as students it's where we're going to go to college and are we going to get married and all these big things in life that we hope for, all of us on some level are planning. So before we jump in, I want to do a little bit of audience participation. Um, I'm going to show you some pictures up here on the slide or on the TV. And all I want you to do, it's real simple, I want you to tell me which of these things you would prefer. And I want you to do it by applause, okay? So I'll tell you when to clap, but I'm going to show you, I'm going to give you two options, and I want you to tell me which of these two things you prefer, okay? So we'll talk about retirement home first. 
Not, not like the retirement, I'm sorry. Like the home in which you want to retire in. Let me rephrase that. Because that's a big difference, right? <laughs> All right, so the first one. Would you rather retire in this home? All right, mountain cabin with this view. Or would you rather retire in this home with this view? All right. So if you would rather retire in the mountain home with the mountain view, let me hear it. Okay. All right. If you would rather retire in the beach home with the beach view, let me hear it. I think the mountain won. I'm, I'm actually surprised. We live in the mountains. Y'all realize that, right? <laughs> okay. All right. Let's talk about vehicles. Would you prefer to drive this car here, or would you prefer, prefer to drive this? <laughs> hey, 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 hey. <coughs> uh, all right. How many of you would prefer to drive the sports car? Okay. All right. How many would prefer the Velociraptor? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I got a standing ovation over here. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, let's talk about toys. Not like a slinky. Yeah, that's a toy too, but all right. Would you prefer to drive or would you prefer to have as a toy a motorcycle, Harley Davidson Ultra Classic? Or would you prefer to have a boat? All right. All right, how many would prefer the motorcycle? All right, how many would you prefer the boat? Yeah, that's not even close. Apparently, we're not a biker church. All right, last one. Would you prefer to have 10,000 shares of stock in this company here? Yeah, it's a lot of money, right? You're doing math in your head. Or would you prefer to have 10,000 shares of stock in this company? Hmm. All right, how many would prefer to have the shares of stock in Google? Okay. How many would prefer to have the stock in Apple? All right, so that's about even. All right, so listen, I'm going to leave you a bit of a cliffhanger. I'm not even going to tell you why we did that, okay? So whatever thoughts you had rolling through your head right there, just hang on to it. We're going to come back to it at the end, okay? All right, so let's jump in our passage. We are in James chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 13 through 17. If you're using the Row Bible, it's on page 852. And if you don't have a Bible, please take that one with you as our gift to you. All right, so let's read James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. All right, it says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town, And spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. 
Let me pray before we jump in. Lord, thank you that we even had the ability to walk through these doors this morning. And Lord, in the same way that we have worshipped you in song, Lord, I pray that the next little bit we would worship you with our hearts and our minds as we seek after your truth, Lord. And I pray that the truth of your word would change us, that it would make us better people so that we would make much of you in our lives, Lord. Thank you for this day. We pray over this time in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so here's what I want to do. I just want to break down these passages, verse 13 through 17. And so, so let's just dive in. We'll look at it. So looking at verse 13, this phrase or this passage here starts with this phrase, come now. And I want to stop and talk about this little phrase because it seems like a really simple expression here. But the language that James is using by saying come now, this language is actually very strong language. It's actually very pointed language. It's actually, it's almost a rebuke in the way that it's written. The NIV translates this, and you can hear the difference in tone here. The NIV translates this as, now listen. So you hear the difference? Like that's an expression we're used to, right? So what James is saying here is he's trying to capture the attention of these people. As I was kind of rolling these verses around in my head uh, a few weeks ago, I'm standing in the grocery store. And there's this young mother in front of me. She's probably in her late 20s. She's got three kids. I know all of them have to be at least under four years old. And she is just drowning. And I'm standing in line. Like I said, I'm at the grocery store. And by the way, why is it always a grocery store? You ever thought about that? Like as parents, like I think part of what we need to start praying is I think Satan has a stronghold in grocery stores. Because every time you go, it's the same battle, right? And so I'm standing there, and I'm a few people deep, and this poor lady, she's just drowning. And, and the oldest boy, he's, like I said, he's about four years old, and he's starting to pitch a fit because he wants something. And she's trying to calm him down. And you know how it is. You, you're already embarrassed, right, because your kids are being loud, and you're trying to calm them down. And so she's, she's kind of trying to negotiate with them. And then the, the two-year-old starts crying, and then there's a baby in the buggy, and it starts crying. And first of all, I start having flashbacks, and I start twitching, and then I'm, and then my heart's like going out to this poor lady who's trying her best, and then suddenly, now I'm standing behind her, but suddenly, like her mom switch went off, like she was done, and I couldn't see her face, but all I could see was she reaches out, and she grabs one arm, she reaches, and she grabs the other. The two boys were sitting beside each other, and I can see her pull them in real close, and all of a sudden, you see their eyeballs get about this big. And I thought, oh, snap. Mom switch has gone off. And you could tell they were paying attention. And so I could hear her. She leans in, and you could hear her. She's talking through her teeth. And you know it's serious, right? Mama starts talking through her teeth. And I hear her go, now listen. And those eyeballs got real big, and suddenly it went silent. Even the baby stopped crying. <laughs> And that's kind of what I thought of as I was thinking through this passage. Like, I don't know that James's language is quite that strong, right? But it's the same kind of expression in the same way mama was trying to get the attention of her boys. That's exactly what James is doing with this little expression here. James is trying to convey that what he's getting ready to say next is really, really important. Like, if the reader of this letter had been skimming through this up to this point... He's trying to capture their attention. He's trying to say, I need you to listen to what I'm getting ready to say next. So look at what he says. He says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there 
and trade and make a profit. So who is this you who say that James is talking about? I did a little bit of research, and there's, there's varying opinions about who he's talking to, but most people believe that James was talking to the merchants and traders of his day. As the church began to grow, different tradesmen were coming into the church, and they were li- dealing with a lot of social dynamics of that time, and so they were dealing with all these new things. So a lot of people think he was talking to these people. And so this is an interesting class of people that I want to discuss for just a minute because during this time, Rome was largely an agricultural society. They really, didn't, they really didn't rely on trading a whole lot at this point. Now, they would hundreds of years later, and they certainly didn't trade, consider trading like we do today. But here's what's interesting. To the poor people of that time, which is really the common majority of the people during that time, traders were stereotyped as crooks. Traders were known for using these shady tactics for buying and selling goods. Like they would have scales that would be too light or too heavy, and they would use it to try to make more money off of people. So like tax collectors and people like that, they carried a stereotype with them. And to the wealthy people of this time, they were also looked down on because of that reputation. In fact, now I want you to contextualize this. Traders were so looked down on, they weren't even allowed to run for political office. Like, that's how bad of a reputation that they carry. But here's the main point I want to point out here. From a socioeconomical perspective, traders were very much like our middle class of today. During that society, there wasn't a huge middle class, but they were one of the groups of people that was closest to being like our middle class. They weren't close to being wealthy, but they enjoyed a lot of benefits that the majority of people that time didn't enjoy. And so, for most of the people during this time, they weren't even able to to enjoy luxuries that you and I honestly take for granted every single day, like the ability to plan our meals out for the week. For most of these people, their main concern was what they were going to eat today. And so, the reason I point this out is, as we start to internalize what James is saying here, we need to understand that James is really talking to all of us here. Regardless of the class of people he's talking to, and regardless of where you and I fall on the socioeconomical chart, most of us are in this position that affords us to plan out our lives in some way. We get to make choices and decisions. So look at the plan itself here in verse 13, okay? If you if you're like me, somebody who loves planning, like I, I read about planning. I mean, I'm I'm kind of a nerd, right? Like, I, I read it from my personal life perspective, from my professional life perspective. Like, I'm, I'm down with planning. And so if you look at this phrase in verse 13, what you realize, if you enjoy planning as much as I do, is that this is actually the making of a really good plan. Like, if you were to think, like, it's from a strategical standpoint, if I just wanted to put a plan together, what are all the things that I'd want to consider? And if you look at this passage, here's what's here. There's a date, Right? There's a today or tomorrow, there's a, there's a place, such and such a town. There's a length of time, they're considering a year. There's a task, they're going to trade, and there's even a purpose and a goal, right? Think about the perfect plan. Think about the right way to put planning together. And that's what you see here. And this is exactly how you and I would plan today. And you and I would only have to stop for just a single minute. Obviously, I did because I was preparing for this message, but there are resources for planning all around us. There are thousands and thousands of books that teach us 
how to plan more efficiently, how to be better at looking into our future. One of my favorite books in the world is Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And habit number two says, begin with the end in mind, where it teaches us, envision what you want in the future so you can work and plan towards it. When I was prepared and I googled how to plan, and I want you to listen to this, this is kind of mind-boggling. In 0.78 seconds, it gave me 10.5 billion search results. 10.5 billion search results. And I think what this proves is that planning is important to us. So let's talk about what motivates us to plan because I think answering this question is getting at the heart of what James is trying to say here, what what point he's trying to make. And so again, I was seeking the wisdom of, hey, Google. And by the way, if you say that out loud, your phones will start asking you what you want. Uh, I asked this question, and I'm going to read you the first response I got. This was the question I asked. Why is planning important in life? So when we think about why do we plan, what's the motivation of planning, I ask, why is planning important in life? And I want you to listen because I think this captures exactly what can be rooted in our hearts when it comes to planning for our future. So I want you to put your spiritual hats on for a second, all right? I want you to listen for a word in this paragraph I'm getting ready to read. This is what Google said. It helps keep you from spending time on tasks that won't bring you closer to your goal. Planning your life gives you control. If you create a plan, then you get to make choices and decisions rather than leaving things up to chance or worse yet, letting others make decisions for you. So what word did you hear? Control. Control. Man, we love control, don't we? If we look, if we look after the conventional wisdom of the world, that's what we would find at the heart of a lot of our plans, a lot of what we see into our future is this idea of being in control. Now, let me point something out again to my fellow plan lovers here. Is James saying that planning's wrong? No. For somebody like me, thankfully no. That's not what James is saying here. But first, James is going to tell us how to plan properly. But first, he does something interesting. First, James is going to make sure that we have a very healthy worldview of who we are and a healthy worldview of who God is. And so that's where James is going to go next. Look at verse 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. I want to give you a perspective. And when you hear this, you might even think it's crazy at first. And I'm speaking to the church here, okay? As followers of Jesus... We can know with more certainty where we will be and what life will look like a thousand years from now than we know of tomorrow. Think about that. As followers of Jesus, we can know with more certainty where we will be and what life will look like a thousand years from now than we know of tomorrow. I don't want you to raise your hand for this one, but I want you to think about this. How many of you would say, that your life is today as you envisioned it 20 years ago. It's laughable, right? (laughs) I mean, how many of you would say your life is as you envisioned it 10 years ago? Five years ago? 12 months ago? Six months ago? 
And listen, I don't want to give the impression that our lives always end up differently in bad ways. That's not the point here. Sometimes what tomorrow brings is good. But sometimes what tomorrow brings isn't good. And so either way, the point that James is making here is that you and I have no idea what tomorrow is going to look like. He's given us a very healthy worldview of who we are. And that's part of this worldview that he's speaking of. Do you and I approach the future from this perspective? Like we have this plan and we're going to control the steps to get there. Or do we embrace this really uncomfortable view that we really have no idea even of what tomorrow is going to look like? There is one thing, however, that James says that we can be certain that tomorrow is going to bring. Anybody want to guess what it is? Death. Statistics tell us that one out of every one person is going to die. That's pretty strong, right? And it's honestly not something that we like to talk about, but I think it's something that James wants to make sure that we understand clearly here. Read this next part here. By the way, this is not the uplifting part of the sermon, okay? It just kind of gets a little worse here before it gets better. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. That is insanely uplifting, isn't it? So, this is one of those statements, if we really think about it, that's really kind of hard to hear. We, we, if we're honest, we think pretty highly of ourselves. Uh, we really do think that we're pretty important. A lot of us don't say it. At least most don't say it. But we do live our lives that way a lot of times. And we as humans tend to kind of view everything in life in relation to how it affects us. Like that's really how microscopic our views can be sometimes. We really do look at everything in life in relation to how it affects us. I brought a demonstration. Again, we're still not in the uplifting part of this. So... You and I, we live our lives, right? We're planning our lives. We're making decisions. Our lives are kind of this culmination of, of achievements and failures and love and loss and joy and pain and all these things. And we're, we have experiences and we, we go through all these ranges of, of emotion. And all of us have these aspirations of doing great things in our life. And this is how James summarizes it, all right? In case you missed it, watch it again. (laughs) This is how James summarizes our life. That little mist, that little spray is how he summarizes our life. I want you to think for a second. How does these words James says make you feel? How does the words, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Think about it. How does that make you feel? My guess is if you really think about it, it rubs in here, right? Like it rubs against who we really think we are sometimes. But I do want to point out, listen, I do want to point out, as insignificant as James's words can make us feel, James's point here isn't to devalue life. James isn't saying that life is meaningless or that life doesn't have 
value. This isn't like Solomon going through this despair that, that life is just vanity and nothing has meaning. That's not, what, that's not what he means here. In fact, as believers, we need to remember that Jesus made it perfectly and eternally clear what our lives are worth, right? His point, again, is to show us this lens through which we see ourselves. He is providing this really stark contrast between who we are and who God is. And it's this really hard reminder of why are you and I planning our lives as if we have control over it. In fact, his greatest or his summary of our greatest efforts in life are no more than a mist when compared to the sovereignty and power of God. That's what James is trying to say here. So James, how then should we plan for our future? Look at verse 15 here. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. I'm from the South. Probably can't tell in my accent, but I am from the South. Um, and there, if you guys, anybody else raised in the South? Southern people here? Yeah. You ever remember growing up hearing people say, Lord willing? Yeah. It was kind of a catchy phrase and there's kind of some nostalgia. Uh, I remember my granddaddy saying, Lord willing in the creek don't rise. <laughs> we lived in a mill village. We didn't have a creek. I don't even know what that meant. <laughs> but I, I remember my grandfather saying that. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, my grandfather wasn't a believer. So for him, I know that it was just an expression, right? It's just something that people say. But for James here, this little statement is a foundational truth that you and I are only going to do whatever it is that we plan to do, if the Lord wills for it to happen. And here's what I think James is saying in this statement. I think he's, I think he's saying two things. You know, James has made it perfectly clear who we are, and now I think James is wanting to make it perfectly clear who we're not, right, and who God is. And so there's two things here. Number one is that God has a will. Like, that's the first thing I think we can interpret here, is that God has a will. And number two, James is saying that his will is completely and totally sovereign. So how sovereign is his will? Well, it says here that he's sovereign over our lives. It says, if the Lord wills, we will live. That's pretty sovereign. And it says he's sovereign even over what we do with our lives. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So back in verse 13, James is saying that we can either have this worldview where we will things to happen. But here he's showing this contrasting worldview where you and I are not going to do anything, including breathe, unless God wills it. That's the difference between God and us. He is totally sovereign and we are completely dependent. Even the breath that we draw in our lungs is his grace and gift to us. That's how dependent we are. And James tells us to plan our lives with any other view than the one he's showing here is called boasting. And he doesn't have very nice things to say about it. Look at verse 16. It says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. This idea of boasting is being proud of our accomplishments or our abilities. 
And the sin here is this arrogant view that we're going to do whatever we want. And the word that he uses to describe that mentality is, again, really strong language here. He calls it evil. There's a lot of words James could have used here. He could have said it was unwise. He could have said it was foolish. But he uses this word intentionally here because he's trying to convey the seriousness of this kind of sin and this type of worldview. Look at this last verse here real quick. And honestly, we could have, it could have been a whole sermon just on this verse alone. Verse 17 says, Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him is a sin. This is an extremely clever statement. Let me tell you why. James is basically taking away every excuse that we would ever have for not planning our lives appropriately. Because see, James isn't just talking about the sins of doing the wrong thing here. James is also talking about the sins of not doing the right thing. And so that either way, having this worldview that you and I are in control or, or acknowledging or not acknowledging the sovereign God, James says, is evil. So in the beginning, I showed you some pictures and I asked you, I said, tell me what you would prefer with these two things. So you may have looked at those slides and said, honestly, I don't really care about any of those things. That's not really what my, I want in my future. If you notice, I pick things I'll probably never get in my life anyway. Uh, but I did that not necessarily for you to focus on those things. What I was trying to get in our heads is the fact that all of us are planning for our futures in some way. We're all thinking about what we want the future to hold for us. We're all thinking about what we want in the future. And so, again, I didn't ask you because those, I necessarily thought those were the things that you want. I ask you those as examples because I wanted to ask you these questions at the end. Would you be okay if your future didn't give you any of those things? Would you be okay with not being able to choose between any of them? Are you planning for a future that considers the fact that God may have something completely other for you? A future where God may ask you to give everything away that you plan for. A future where God may take away everything that you plan for. And listen, maybe your future is more than you ever could have planned it to be. But maybe your future is far less than you ever planned it to be. Either way, here's the question I want to leave you with. Are you okay if you're, if you're not the one in charge of your future? Are you okay if you're not the one that's in control? Because this is what happens. This is what happens. When our desire to control our lives and future collides with the sovereignty of God, it hurts. I'm going to read that again. When our desire to control our future and lives collides with the sovereignty of God, it hurts. And every single person in this room has felt that hurt at one time or another. And guess what? Every single person in this room is going to feel that hurt again. And that hurt, it leaves us confused. It leaves us bitter. And it leaves us angry. 
And we even start to question every good thing about who God is, even his love for us, all because life wasn't what we thought it should be. So you and I, James would say, you and I do not have the power to make our own future. And listen, in our society today, that goes against a big part of the American dream that we love so much, doesn't it? And listen, don't get me wrong, I love this country. But the idea that you and I can be anything that we want to be or do anything that we set our mind to do slams face first into the sovereignty of God. But here's the good news. Let me give you some uplifting news here. There is some sweet, sweet good news to this truth that you and I are not in control of the future. It means that we don't have to carry the burden of the future either. Isn't that good news? Because as humans, let's admit it, we are really, really quick to pick up the burden and try to carry things that we are not supposed to carry. And let's face it, we couldn't carry it even if we wanted to. And our God would tell us that you don't have to carry those things. You can be loosened of the burdens of what tomorrow is going to bring. And that's exactly why Jesus said that his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. Because he does not expect you and I to be God. Thank God. That's his job, right? And he is really, really good at it. I want you to do something as we kind of close out today. I want to ask you to do something before we leave. Um, If you've got a piece of paper and a pen, I want you to write something down. If you've got like a phone with a note app or whatever, I want you to type it into your phone. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to complete this sentence. If the Lord wills, and then I want you to fill in the blank. And I want you to think about, as you think about planning for your future and your life and what you desire and what you what you long after and what you want to see come in the future, I want you to fill in with the blank with that plan of your life. It might be a couple of things. But I want you to think about what's that one thing that pops out in your head? What's that one thing that you look at and go, this is what I want in my future? And I'm going to give you a quick moment to write it down, but then afterwards, we're going to take like an extended time to pray. And listen, this is going to rub against us. We hate silence, don't we? Like, I'm going to give us like five to ten minutes to pray in silence. And so, as you pray, I want you to pray. There's four things I'd like for you to do. Number one, I would like for you to share your worldview with the Lord. Like, do you struggle with this idea of being in control? Like, do you struggle with wanting to hold on to things that you were not meant to hold on to? Do you still believe that in some ways you have the power and ability to control the future? And I want you to confess that to him. And listen, just be honest, right? He knows. Number two, I would like for you to symbolically lay that plan that you write down, down at the feet of Jesus. I want you to lay that down in front of him. And listen, laying something down doesn't mean it's not going to happen. This is about being in a place that trusts God either way. 
Trusting that he knows what's best for us. Trusting that God is not just sovereign, but that he's also good. And number three, I want you to tell him whether or not you're actually okay with the future not looking the way that it may or may not look. Confess it to him. Tell him, are you okay with not being in control of your future? And then the last thing, the fourth thing I want you to do is simply just listen. Just be silent and let the Lord minister to you. Let the Lord speak to your heart and assure you that he is big enough for your future.
Lord, you are good to us. Lord, in ways that we don't deserve, in ways that we can't even understand. And Lord, please do not let us walk out of these doors today without, without seeing exactly who you are. And as uncomfortable as it makes us feel of being insignificant compared to you, Lord, help us to see your goodness. Help us to know that you love us. Through the uncertainty of our futures, Lord, you still love us. You have gone before us, and you follow behind us, Lord. Help us to trust in who you are. Lord, you are good. You can do nothing but good. Lord, help us to rest in that today. In Christ's name, amen.